AI has almost no chance of breaking cryptography. Think of a hash function. You take it an input and you just mash it together and you get out a random looking short string of characters. And AI can't really predict that because one single change in an input in a hash function completely changes the output. But for AI, similar inputs lead pretty similar outputs. Scraping Bits is brought to you by the following sponsors. Fastlane Labs, Trustless MEV. MEV Protocol, maximize your ETH staking value with MEV ETH exclusively on MEV.io and Composable. Execute any intent on any chain coming soon to mantis.app. That is M-A-N-T-I-S dot A-double-P. GM, GM, everyone. My name's Tagachi, the host of Scraping Bits. And today I have another special guest, Porter from Matter Labs. How's it going, friend? GM, GM, it's good. I'm excited to finally get to talk to you. Finally, yeah, we've <laughs> been delaying it for so long. But, you know, we're finally here and we get to talk about cryptography in the ZK realm. Just for the people that aren't familiar with you, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, my name is Porter. I work at Matter Labs as a security engineer. Matter Labs is the company that works on ZK Sync. So pretty much people just think I work at ZK Sync. Within the company, I'm on the security team, and specifically, I help with a lot of our cryptography. So auditing actual ZK code that makes ZK Sync an L2. Interesting. How did you even get into this? This is a very niche thing, being able to audit cryptography. <laughs> what made you go down this path, and how did you really get into all of this? Okay, so the full backstory is when I was really little, I thought pretty much just codes and code breaking was like the coolest thing you could do. And so I was always into like secret messages and then cryptography. And obviously that ended up leading me here. There's got to be like a lot of math involved as well. Did you go to uni to study math with cryptography or did you just do self-taught? Yeah, I went to Harvey Mudd College outside of Los Angeles in the United States. And I studied math and computer science. Okay, interesting. Damn. <laughs> How did you make your way into ZK Sync then? You mentioned before this you were doing Solana auditing. I think that's quite different to auditing cryptography. <laughs> it is a little bit different. So yeah, when I first got into like the crypto industry, I was at a company called Kodolsky Security. And we did a lot of the like early audits in the Solana ecosystem. And I mean, I just kind of signed up for a crypto job. I didn't know like what to expect. I didn't know much about Solana at the time. I didn't know like really anything. But I had always had that dream since I was a kid of doing more cryptography. And so I asked, continuously to put on like any of the projects that have more math or any of the projects that actually roll their own cryptography. One thing led to another and eventually end up at Matter Labs. So what do you think is a prerequisite to being able to get into cryptography auditing? Obviously, you know, a lot of math and you know cryptography, but to what degree? Those fields are practically infinite if you want to go master each topic in each of them, right? What do you really need to get into this kind of stuff and to start applying and become practical? Yeah, I was just giving a lot of people this advice because CK Sync did like a $1.1 million bug bounty contest. Yeah, I saw that. Insane. It was crazy. It's so much money. I still can't believe we did that. <laughs> and part of what was cool was that the first time there's ever been ZK circuits included in the bug bounty. And so a lot of people were asking, how do I get started? And I think there's always kind of two good ways to learn something. And you should probably do some combination of both. One yeah. is just like, Look at bugs that other people have found before. Just read previous audit reports. Look at ZK bugs that have happened in production to other yeah, companies yeah. and stuff. And then try to find those same bugs inside ZK Sync. 
And then other is really understand the protocol and what's supposed to be happening. And if you can do that, then sometimes it's really obvious what's missing. Yeah, 100%. You have to understand the underlying architecture and all its game theory, how it all interacts with different parts of it. Did you do much smart contract auditing within ZK as well, or did you just really focus on actually building the L2 itself? Mostly, at least at ZK Sync, like all of our ZK is focused on building the L2 itself. We don't do too much at the application layer. Although I think that there's tons of cool application layer ZK projects. I mean, like Tornado Cache was one of my favorites. I wonder your opinion on the advancement of ZK chains, because when you think about Something like Tornado Cash, right? They got sanctioned, put in, put in prison. But now there's these entire chains dedicated to enabling basically the same thing. And I guess it depends on whether the company is completely decentralized, not as in people can run their own nodes like Ethereum, or if it's just a centralized entity. But if it is decentralized, right, it's a major red flag for like for governments and regulators. Because you know, if you just sanction Tornado Cash, now you have an entire chain of the equivalent things, which is, I mean, great for us, but horrible for them. So do you have any spicy takes on that? One is that like Tornado Cash is still running, you know, it's still there. <laughs> you could still use it. Yeah, yeah. They, they can't really stop it. And then in general, I just think governments are always going to be on the losing end of this back and forth battle because you just have to find one country that's okay with everything. And there's so many like for example, like small island countries who would be so happy to have all this revenue and stuff. They would love to change their laws to make crypto feel like very acceptable. Yeah, interesting. You know, when building out the cryptography, right, in ZK Sync, but what are some potential vulnerabilities, you know, associated with the implementation of zero knowledge proofs in this technology? And how do you really mitigate these vulnerabilities? Yeah. First, like, what is ZK Sync like use the ZK4 is proving the state transitions. So like moving yeah. the chain forward. And so if there are flaws in that proof, then you can prove bad state transitions. You could prove, for example, that all the money now belongs to you or pretty much anything else. Like it's kind of crazy. Almost any bug inside of the ZK code, like quickly becomes critical unless there's like yeah. external yeah. checks that are not part of the ZK system. Yeah, and I feel like it would be really hard to find it, no? Like, there's just so much rigor that goes into it. And yeah, if it when it does come up and running, right, then imagine it just going on for months or years, and then eventually you find an exploit, and you're like, oh shit, you know? there's a Someone can just completely screw up the entire network and give themselves tons of money or screw other people over. How do you even, like, manage to go past from that when you find something? You just have to spin it up again, or what happens? So I have a, a fun example of that. Well, one, uh, ZKSync, first of all, we don't use privacy. And so we would at least see something bad happening. And for the moment, we do have a 20-hour execution delay, which means pretty much we have 20 hours to notice something, stop it, go back and fix things. Hopefully, we never have to use that, but it is there as a safety feature for now. But eventually, we're going to remove it. And thing like that that happens will just happen. But the story I wanted to share was from Zcash. So Zcash is actually private. And in the first version of their like ZK code, have you ever heard of trusted setups? I haven't, no. Okay. So like some ZK algorithms require you to... There needs to be some secret that like no one in the world knows. And so everyone kind of like adds a little randomness into the pot. And then like, hopefully if enough people like do that, then like the pot's pretty random. 
Anyways, Zcash found a bug in their trusted setup program. Because everything on Zcash is private anyways, there's no way to know whether this was ever exploited or like what happened. Oh. <laughs> it's a complete mystery whether this was caught or done by malicious people before like the actual developers ZK Sync, like an electric coin company fixed it. Damn, that's really interesting actually. So why didn't ZK Sync go private? Why did they not go that route? I do think we want some privacy eventually, but for now the goal is just scale Ethereum. Ethereum's not private, so default scaling Ethereum doesn't require privacy yet. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, if you go private, just completely 180 is the, the inherent vision of it, which is complete transparency, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that needs to be the vision. I don't know if complete transparency is actually that much of a feature. Like, I think it maybe partly is just a bug. I mean, like, Satoshi even commented on foreign posts. He would have made Bitcoin included CK privacy if it was more advanced back in the day. Oh, I mean, that would be good, though. I would totally be down for an Ethereum ZK-based model where basically everything is private. I mean, that would be an insane arena, though. Like, imagine all the Black Hat activity on, on like, a complete private chain, all the MEV. I don't even know how that would work, though. If the transactions are private, right? Then would MEV even exist? That is a question. Sometimes you can guess which transactions are coming, even if you don't know for sure, but... Anyways, all this, like, Aztec's building this, so we're going to get to see this in real world soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm super keen for Aztec, because they have, like, a public and private mempool. It's kind of like a mixture of both. But yeah, it's going to be super interesting, I think. I was talking to Uri from Blockstrout just yesterday. I mentioned this as well with him. If you have, like, this system where you can't see the actual transactions, like, the details, like, no call data, you only see the value, and then you have the block builders, and you order them in a way where you, you always put the highest in there and not biased towards the transaction to create MEV or the enable partners that do MEV. I wonder if that would be an interesting scenario. But there, again, it is a game that if there is MEV to be captured, then you could theoretically create some system to kind of guess which transactions would be ordered in different ways. I don't know, maybe based off the time it was submitted or maybe the value indicates something. Even though it's scarce information, there's not really much feedback to be had. It might be an interesting concept, and I guess you never know until you really try it, to be honest. But it was just something that popped up. MEV is terrifying. I think it'll always exist at least a little bit in some form. I think MEV without private transactions is actually quite, I think, interesting. It's a tough game, but I like the arbitrages. Those are good for the market, but front-running and sandwiching probably isn't the best. You don't want to have that in your model of, you know, where we're trying to replace CFI, right? You're getting front ran every time, every single time you do a swap. It's just built in. That's a feature. It's not a bug. <laughs> what do you think where the industry is moving and versus where do you think it needs to move? Now, you've kind of got two perspectives. You've got like the ZK realm and the traditional L1 and normal L2s, but you kind of hit them all now. So what do you think from a macro point of view, the industry really needs to go towards and where it's moving right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think... First, the cryptographers, I think, in general, are doing great work. Zero-knowledge cryptography has gotten so much better and so much faster, and there's still like lots of new ideas being pushed. And yeah. I think the cryptographers are doing like really well, like, completely like going in the right direction. The rest of the industry, or the industry overall, I don't know where things are going to end up. Everyone's competing on all these different metrics, but then like you know these completely like random chains have tons of money and tons of users in other parts of the world and stuff so 
I'm very interested to see ZK bridges and maybe even cross-chain interactions of L1s interacting with ZK L2s and maybe even some kind of conglomerate of all of them intertwining like a web in some ways. I know there's a few people like Composable that's doing a cross-chain kind of aggregator. And I think the bridging system is really needed because it's all spread across multiple chains, the same liquidity pools. It's so weird, but that's just kind of something I've noticed. And then you've got the MEV game. So people are trying to screw people over a small amount of money, just screws the user over. And then you have like the inherent hacks. If you invest or you become an LP provider, right? You're kind of just getting screwed over because people just perform JIT on you. So you actually exit liquidity. And like in the inherent hacking of contracts, they're all zero days, probably on, let's say 1% of the contracts out there. But you know, they're zero days. So you never know until you go through all of the possible options. That's why you need a fuzzer or some kind of AI fuzzer. Probably an AI fuzzer because I mean I was building a fuzzer and the amount of combinations you can create is infinite you need a lot of compute to do it and just the amount of options there are like when you change one variable it it creates a whole chain reaction of possibilities so I I think AI is actually needed for large-scale cybersecurity and blockchain even in general though you know speaking of AI (laughs) and in the realm of that, do you ever think it would be able to crack cryptography? And what are your thoughts on like quantum computing as well? Since that is really in the realm of if it is able to crack it, then kind of the world collapses in some ways until there is something better than what is crackable. I think AI actually has almost no chance of breaking cryptography. There was even a scare like a month ago when um, Sam Altman got overthrown from OpenAI. And people were saying internally, maybe they'd like the AI had cracked cryptography and like it was, that was like what was spooky and it was going to destroy the world. And even just think of the hash function, which is one of the way simpler pieces of cryptography. Like you take in an input and you just mash it together and you get out a random looking short string of characters. And AI can't really predict that very well because one single change in an input in a hash function completely changes the output but for ai similar inputs lead pretty similar outputs normally so yeah there isn't like really any pattern towards it it's just or maybe there is and we just don't really know it but yeah the smallest input completely changes the entire thing and you know computationally it would be very difficult (laughs) to crack something with a lot of characters but you never know. Yeah, like you can't do it by brute force. So the AI would have to notice something unique that no one else has noticed. Yeah, yeah, I think it is possible. It's really specialized in finding patterns, right? So maybe those are... I think it is the best hope at it than humans, at least. If it can just live on for, you know... Because we just die after X amount of years, but computers can virtually live on forever, right? If you just hook it up to internet, hook it up to like a solar panel farm and just have infinite compute, right? I don't know, it can just live forever. So maybe, we'll see. That'd be a crazy world to live in if it does crack it though. That would that'd be like a giant collapse. <laughs> but man, can you explain the cryptographic principles that kind of underpin uh, ZK proofs and how they ensure privacy and security in, in blockchain applications for the people that aren't really familiar? So it really starts actually from error correcting codes. I'm surprised like more people in ZK don't kind of talk about like the history of where this came from, because I think like error correcting codes are very intuitive. It's if you send some data and like what happens if it gets kind of corrupted halfway, like across being sent, are you able to like correct the errors yourself on your side? Or do you have to ask me to like resend the whole file? 
And where this is particularly important is like, I don't know, let's say we send like some satellite like way out in space and it's taking a picture and it's going to like send it, you know, light years back home. We don't want to have to ask that satellite to like resend the photo. Yeah. The back and forth is going to be like egregious. So instead, like a naive error correcting code algorithm would just be send me the whole message three times in a row. Now, that's kind of inefficient because you're kind of sending a lot of extra information. But if there's just like one error somewhere along there, like two of the messages are the same, so you can decode and you're good. Um, That's kind of a long background but that that's like should give a lot of intuition so then bringing that to zk what we want to do is prove that some computation was done correctly and you want the verifier to be able to check it very very easily and so actually pretty much all that zk codes and circuits do is you encode the computation and then you do error correction on it so that if there are any errors Instead of doing error correction, you kind of do like error amplification. So if there's an error in the computation, it ends up affecting like everything else. And then the verifier can catch it very easily. That's my explanation. Okay. And I guess what are the practical limits of using the proofs as well, I guess, in, in terms of transaction speed and you know resource requirements? Yeah. So the, the overhead of ZK right now is about like a 1 million X. Um, so if you were to do some normal computation, compare it to like doing it with ZK, it's about a million times worse. So <laughs> what, what's beneficial is that the verifier doesn't have to do that work. You can put all of the like hard work on just one prover somewhere in the world. But wouldn't that be centralized? Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. Well, as long as the, the verifier is decentralized, because the prover can't cheat like because the verifier like knows what's coming and will only like verify valid proofs so you don't have to trust the prover really at all actually okay can anyone spin up their own prover i guess does it have to be centralized yeah it's called decentralizing the prover we haven't done that yet for zk sync but it's relatively straightforward to do you just let anyone submit the proof to the l1 oh okay then someone just picks it up and then kind of does it and so like you can do some like fancy designs around like who picks it up and like making sure somebody's doing it, taking turns, you can offer rewards for whoever does it first. But relatively, like, yeah, it, it's relatively straightforward. Just the decentralizing the prover part of decentralizing L twos. Really interesting. Well, I mean, what does the what does the prover do, and how what happens after that with the verifiers? Yeah, so the verifier is like a smart contract on Ethereum, and it ahead right. of time has like a verifying key, which is like. So it knows sort of what the circuits look like and it knows kind of like what should be coming. So it knows how to do its checks properly. Besides that, like anywhere in the world, anywhere can just generate a proof of the recent transactions and like add it onto the front of the chain. And then the verifier checks the proof. And once the verifiers check the proof, that's when ZK Sync like officially updates to the new state. Mm, interesting. Updates to the new state. Why do they have to be on chain though? Like the the verifiers can it be off chain? Right. Like in theory, with zk, you can put the verifiers anywhere you want. Uh, like you can verify it on a cell phone. But for like the purposes of an L two, we want Ethereum to be checking everything, and so we put the verifier on Ethereum. Okay. Mm. Oh, okay. So so it's just like the verifiers are all on Ethereum, and you, you kind of offload it all 
<laughs> onto the prover on the l2 right oh wait that's not on the l2 yeah uh, I w- i'd say like the prover kind of goes between it takes the everything from the l2 and sort of proves it to the l1 okay but then they still have to send i, I guess when you're doing like this l2 you're, you're sending all the transactions to the l2 wouldn't that cost gas in itself though yeah there's a little bit of l2 gas but it, it still comes out more efficient than actually just confirming it all on, on the l1 right yeah i mean i'm not actually sure what ethereum transaction fees have been recently but zk syncs are about like 12 cents now 10 to 12 cents per transaction which is good okay i mean yeah i guess it depends on the time like during the bull market it's ridiculous like you pay i I mean i was paying 50 dollars per transaction so you know it seems all right it seems like a decent benefit (laughs) i see the word like zk snarks and and stocks you know what are the difference between them yeah never really gone too deep into the zk world but you know hear this all the time yes this is a hot topic because even the cryptographers love to debate this so the the words stark and stark obviously like that T and the N are different, but also the leading S is different. So Stark stands yeah. for scale transparent, scalable transparent argument of knowledge. And Stark okay. stands for succinct, non-interactive argument of knowledge. That's just the definitions. In practice, there is a slight difference, like like a meaningful difference in the cryptography where like Starks, I think, allow the verifier to or the proof size to be like a little bigger or the verifier can be like a little slower but for my my opinion like for most of the general world everyone should (laughs) just think of starks as a specific type of snark i think starks are like the general category and starks are just like a specific instance and there is like a minute niche cryptography difference why starks technically sometimes might not be snarks but it's silly so so when would you use a snark over a stock and vice versa. Yeah. So Ethereum is like already has some like elliptic curve recompiles that make it very easy to verify snarks because a lot right. of snarks are based on elliptic curves. And then yep. starts are generally based on hash functions. So in practice, like or at least right now, starks have kind of been taking over. I mean, ZK Sync, we just rolled out our new proof system, Boojum, where we switched to using a Stark. Uh, or at least fry, fry proofs. And so in practice, what happens is then we do a whole Stark proof, but then we want to verify it cheaply on Ethereum. So we actually then prove with a snark that the Stark proof was valid. So we kind of like, because you, you can prove anything, so you can prove that another proof is valid. And so that way, like, people just get the best of both worlds from whichever thing you want. Hmm. Interesting. And this is, is this like state-of-the-art I guess designs as well or is there is it kind of like ai where people are coming up with new stuff all the time and you're kind of implementing it and seeing how well it works or oh yeah people come up with new stuff all the time i mean like one like recent development has been almost everyone uses with uses what's called prime fields which are these like little large prime numbers that are odd but normal yeah. computers run on like bits 64 bits at a time which is not not a number. And so there's a recent paper from Olatana that's on how you could do snarks over a binary field, which might allow you to do like a lot of normal computations a lot faster. But it's only been like a month since that paper, so I don't know. I think it just got done in practice once, but 
we'll we'll see like actually how efficient it ends up being because all, all i see in like the zk world of i guess blockchain it's all this all the same stuff it's like snark stock proofs that's kind of it <laughs> i guess not really many people are experimenting i guess as much as maybe i'm just not like very naive not really in the spaces yeah i would say there's actually a ton of experimentation it's just all at sort of like minute levels and it all like counts at the various tons of little differences interesting what what is what has your been what's been your favorite have you kind of done your own experimentation at all or i mean i'm biased towards elliptic curves it's my math background probably but like i mean if you if you've heard of like fermat's last theorem and like all his like great number theory things like the langlands program like a lot of big theoretical math problems use elliptic curves and they're very cool and so yeah. I like when elliptic curves show up in cryptography. It's just a completely biased opinion. ZK Sync has just switched to Starks, which only use hash functions, so we're kind of moving away from the elliptic curves some. But I miss the elliptic curves. Hmm. Elliptic curve. I remember that was kind of like my first gateway into just like cryptography in general. I think it was pretty interesting. But then it's like always increasing like the SHA, SHA algorithms, like SHA2, SHA3. And, you know, you, you start studying that when you get into... I guess bytecode stuff, you don't really see it too much, but it is quite interesting. I wonder if anyone's really, I don't know, like, I, I feel like when you get into crypto, there's, there's a few, like, routes you can get into. I DK was the only one I really didn't get into. I don't know, you can go on, like, MEV, you can do really low-level, like, I guess, bytecode, smart contract stuff, which is also what I did. You can go on the infra- infrastructure play, protocol play, or you go into ZK, or just build chains. I think... Building chains is quite interesting. You know, you can get a, like a ridiculous amount of funding, and if it does work, I think, yeah, if it does work, then man, you've just built like an entire ecosystem, right? But it's so difficult to build these chains and these ecosystems because you have to build the dev tooling as well. I remember doing something on Hedera Hashgraph, I think it was called, back in the day, and they like modified the EVM but didn't supply the right. You know, Block Explorer, you couldn't really look at the contracts on chain at all. You couldn't even get the bytecode, I, I believe. And, like, you couldn't use Theology. It wasn't compatible with it. So they have they had really no testing ground for forking. And so made it incredibly hard to test. I wonder, is there anything... What was the dev tooling experience like on, on ZK Sync? And are you much involved in that at all? Yeah. Well, because it, it ends up relating to the proof system. So ZKSync is currently language compatible, which means you can take your Solidity, take your Viper, and compile it. And then we have a different bytecode format from what the EVM uses. And the reason for that is like mostly historical. It's because when like the founders of ZKSync were first trying to build this like three or four years ago, if you like zk was was pretty slow and pretty difficult to do and so it was too it was tough at the time to directly prove eve bytecode it was better to make like a more zk friendly bytecode so so that's what we have now but we've realized that you're right like the whole dev compatibility experience like block explorers are like so important and like it's impossible to rebuild how much like dev tooling there's been done for Ethereum. And so we're moving like back towards full Ethereum compatibility now. Mm. When someone does a transaction with the use of ZK proofs, how, how does it affect the finality of the transaction? And what is like the trade-offs of this? Because you know, when you when you think about Ethereum, 
Is it really just similar to Ethereum where you just throw it into a mempool and then like it, it's not getting ordered, right? So it, it's not like a block builder is choosing which transactions to put in which order and kind of manipulating it in a way and then sending off a bundle, right? So oh, the, there is. the transaction flow for an L2 is, yeah, you throw it into the L2 mempool. There's something called a sequencer, which is like our block builder. And that like creates the blocks. And then after the sequencer, the prover like proves the blocks to the L1. You know what I saw recently? I think it was Arbitrum. Or was it Arbitrum? But it was like a sequence that got overloaded quite recently. I don't know if you saw that. It yeah, was... that was literally two days ago, those inscriptions. Yeah. yeah, what happened there? Like, I think that's a like a big point of failure, right? If it's just a, a single sequencer that's, I guess, centralized and if it fails, like, what happened there? Then, I mean, what happens? What are, what are the complications that arise after that? Right. So... Yeah, our arbitrary stuff. I, as a security person, like I always want the systems to be secure. So I feel bad. Like anytime something crashes, like it, it's hard to be perfect. And, and I'll talk about zk sync. We also had like descriptions yesterday, and I can talk about those. Like <laughs> what, what happened with that too. But first, sequencers or for the whole L two, the the point of an L two is you don't have to trust any of it. We're not right. always there yet, but. If the sequencer fails, which is the block builder, there there's sort of two things you should be able to do. One is like from Ethereum itself, you should be able to create new transactions on Arbitrum. And then also from Ethereum itself, you should be able to like leave and withdraw your money back from Arbitrum. As long as you can do those two things, you can pretty much just use Arbitrum through the L1. The fees will be more expensive, but at least you can get your money out. And so like no matter what happens with Arbitrum, you should be able to like both enter and leave on your own. Uh, so even if the sequencer goes down, in theory, long term, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. Mm-hmm. And and what happened with ZK Sync? Yeah. So I guess in summary, inscriptions are happening, which is like tons of people spamming the chain. Arbitrum first hit like an all-time transaction high for them, and then. And the sequencer crashed and it took them like six hours to get back online, I think. ZK Sync, we got hit the next day. We were going at 150 transactions per second for several hours, which is very impressive because normally we do about 10. We know we can go faster than 10. That's just like what user demand is at. But we'd never actually gone at 150 TPS in production. So it's pretty cool that our system was holding up for several hours. The only thing that happened was we literally had to like upgrade to better hardware halfway through. And so for 15 minutes, we did like a live upgrade and technically we were down for those 15 minutes, but like all of our code still worked. So I'm counting it like mostly as a win, but technically we did go down too because inscriptions are too powerful. There are too many people. Yeah. There's there's two questions that arise. It's, you know, I guess when when it goes down, what happens? Is there any like detriment? Any I guess exploits that that could be done to deal with like I guess the L, the L in itself. But if, if the sequencer is like the, I guess the intermediary, then it would just like stop working completely, right? Or is that not correct? Yeah, I mean, arbitrary sequencer like couldn't create new blocks, and for the fifteen minutes, like ZK Sync, like users couldn't submit transactions. But because Arbitrum has fraud proofs and ZK Sync has ZK proofs, there's no way for anything bad to happen. Users just like can't really use the chain for a little bit. Or theoretically, you could use the chain through the L1 itself, but it's kind of annoying. 
Yeah, yeah. So, hmm. And I, I guess, yeah, if you're saying the average was like 10 transactions per second, that was user demand. Like 15x that. That's so unexpected, right? Like the it must, it's either an influx of people have converted to ZK land or it was like a, a targeted event, I guess. But but where are the incentives of doing a targeted event? So it uh, must yeah. be... Are you familiar with inscriptions at all? Or I can explain inscriptions. You're going to have to explain inscriptions. <laughs> so it's, it's an NFT thing mostly, or kind of a token thing now. And apparently it actually started on Cardano, but really recently it started on Bitcoin. And the point is like Bitcoin doesn't have smart contracts, so you can't really make NFTs. But you can just post blobs of data that have PNGs in them and then like sort of like monkey trade them like it doesn't really like Bitcoin doesn't check or verify anything. So you have to run these sort of like external stuff to check and see who owns what. That's the idea of inscriptions. But like, okay, if they're doing that on Bitcoin and you're just sending blobs of data to someone, can't you? Well, what if someone just like copies and pastes it? How do you know where the original came from? Like, what's the value in that? I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird. Basically, the Bitcoin itself doesn't track anything. You need to, like, basically run, like, an external node that just tracks, like, who owns these inscriptions. And so it, it's kind of silly. It kind of makes sense on Bitcoin. But then mm. people started, for whatever, like, degen reason, which I, I think is kind of hilarious. Like, I support it, but, like, go experiment. But, like... People started doing the same stuff of just posting blobs of like JPEGs on other chains. And so they've been going around one blockchain at a time. And whenever like these mints happen, like people just spam the chain like crazy trying to post all these like NFTs to like, you know, get the mint. Like there's no reason to do that on like a chain that has smart contracts because you could just do like a normal ERC721. But that's not what the DGENs are doing. They're doing inscriptions. That's so random. Is there even any like financial incentive to, I guess, even target like something like ZK Sync? Apart from obviously getting to the point of verifying and like, I guess, manipulating the prover. But apart from that, is there any other attack vectors that are really aligned with incentives? It just seems not really. Not too much. Like, to really break ZK Sync, you either need to break our proof system, like find a bug there. And even then we have like some backup checks that you'd have to get past too. Or like try and compromise core dev is like another attack vector. But even then, like you have to push some update without anyone noticing. And that's pretty unlikely. These things are getting pretty secure already. I'm actually very impressed with how fast we've gotten pretty mature security wise. I wonder how something like ZK Sync will maintain compatibility with future upgrades. You know, when, when Ethereum switched to proof of stake from, you know, proof of work, well, it's a new upgrade, right? But Ethereum sharding is, is anticipated, right? Unless it's already implemented, if I'm mistaken. But when it's implemented, how is it going to maintain compatibility with that if it's a big change? Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's one of the challenges is, like, you know, everyone talks about, like, immutability, but if, like, Ethereum itself keeps changing and then there's an LT, yeah. like, we want to stay compatible with that, so we're going to have to keep changing. Where does it end? So, I'm not exactly sure what it looks like super long term. I think in terms of security and decentralization, I think almost everything about L2s is solved in theory. We need to do a lot of stuff in practice still. 
the last thing to like solve in theory is that long-term keeping up with ethereum how do you do upgrades how do you do governance and stuff it's gonna be tough i wonder when we talk about the sequencer actually i was just thinking if that's a centralized entity couldn't there be decentralized versions of it as well kind of like the equivalent of block builders on ethereum yeah, within like all the L2 protocols, this has been the hot topic for the last several months, decentralize the sequencer. And it's kind of interesting because like the reason to decentralize the sequencer is the same reason you want like decentralized block builders on L1. It's for the censorship resistance. But also like, we want these L2s to be able to go like much, much faster than an L1. And at some point, if you're just rebuilding everything that an L1 has, you're going to end up at L1 speeds. And so... It's yeah. kind of uh, a little tricky to like decentralize a sequencer while keeping like speeds very high in practice. But I don't think any teams figured it out yet. What if it was already decentralized by nature, but you ran your own sequencer as a default? Well, then it'll be the exact same thing, but with the ability to have decentralization. You mean like any user could run their own sequencer? Yeah, exactly. Like I guess it would be the same as block building, where I guess a perfect example is like flashbots, right? They created flashbots and then they run their own builder and relayer. And, you know, it's it's not centralized because you can basically spin up your own and they can people can send to other ones as well. So there is like a centralized aspect. It's kind of, there's also the option to not choose that, that entity. So maybe that's an option, you know, because then you have your own sequencer, which could, you know, doing the 150 transactions per second, but then there's also the option for someone else just to up the decentralization aspect. Because imagine if that's, if, if the company got like hit by government and regulations came and they had to shut down, well, now the sequence is gone, you know, and then the whole thing's completely gone. But I guess it depends on how much, if the entire like stack is decentralized, it's capable of being decentralized. But it's just food for thought, I think. And it would actually be super interesting to see what like a block builder would be like with a sequence. Because now there's just a new kind of MEV game, which I'm always interested in about <laughs> the game theory behind that. It's just block building for L2s. I wonder if that's a, it's a thing there. It's something like, I don't think I've ever been asked and I don't think anyone ever asks. It's maybe it's like a forbidden question for L2s. But if you wanted to know, ZK Sync just does like first come first serve like transaction ordering because we don't want to be like accused of like meving our own users. <laughs> but some people say like because for the moment like each of these l2s is pretty much the only entity running their own sequencer and so like each of these companies is doing all the block building themselves and so like we can front run all of our users and yeah. make tons of money but obviously we don't want to do that so that that's another reason to decentralize the sequencer is it actually spreads yeah. out the mev a lot more instead of having it just be us that's a crazy thing. So I think like the the L2s are like the biggest, I guess, gas consumers on the network. And obviously they have like insane. Imagine partnering with like an MEV team. It would just be ridiculous, you know? Like obviously it would be completely wrong because it's a centralized entity just like completely destroying, front running everyone. It's a good game plan. Nobody noticed because it's all, uh, I guess it's not private actually. If it was private, that would be quite a quite a good game plan but it's not but yeah i don't know that'll be that'll be really interesting to see play out who knows maybe someone does it spins up a layer two for the the ulterior alternative motive ulterior motive to front run everyone yeah i think like if if ftx had their own ftx chain they probably would have done it 
Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think that's good food for thought, though. I don't know if anybody's really talked about that before. I really, I really am interested in, like, the ZK MEV, though. Like, if you find, even if it's not private, oh, I don't know. Any, anywhere where there's, like, I guess something similar to a sequencer or autoflow being sent to something else, there's always an opportunity there somewhere. But, yeah. I mean, I, I'm also wondering, like, how would you even, how would you even do auditing on, like, cryptography can you even run like a static analyzer or a fuzzer like can you build tools for this stuff or does it have to be completely manual yeah well first i want to answer about the zkmev a little bit so the reason like aztec and these other chains have both public and private states because if all state was private like there's nothing for you to interact with like there's no yeah yeah you, you need some shared state between multiple users and so like you need that to be public pretty much and so what this means is like if you're all trading in a DEX, your transaction's private and like the other transactions in your same block are all kind of like blended together with yours. But the price is known before your block and after your block publicly. And so like within a block, you're kind of maybe safe from MAV because no one can tell. But like there's still some MAV that could happen like between blocks. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing from a control C, control V, I think it was a while ago, but you mentioned like L2, L2 MEV, where you could convert L1 and L2, I think, if I remember correctly. This was a couple months ago. Yeah, you mentioned something along the lines of like L2 and L, L1 block building MEV kind of thing, where if you have a block builder and I guess you have like these tokens on L2s, I can't remember correctly, but you could basically predict the bot. You could basically predict which blocks were going to be accepted and kind of, I guess, monopolize it in some way uh, of being able to confirm two blocks on different chains, one on each chain, and kind of make a chain of them to perform like cross layer MEV, which I thought was really interesting. I never really thought of that, but maybe there's probably some game theory that you could mess around with that is similar to that, you know? It does require some expertise, though, obviously, of very niche skills and domains. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think we actually hired some researchers recently from some college students to to think more about these types of problems. Oh, nice. Well, what have they discovered? If you can share it, uh, I think it like just started. We just like announced, or we just like accepted them like a few weeks ago. I'm not even sure oh, okay. if it starts until the new year, but the yeah, research team hired like. 20 college students or something just like a whole claw yeah, yeah. i mean I, I don't know if they're even all college students like it could just be anyone but we just like accepted research proposals recently and i know one of the big topics was like l2 maybe hmm. yeah cross chain cross layer would be crazy combine them all together damn that'd be that'd be pretty interesting but obviously very difficult i think the hardest thing is like the bridge interaction i mean like with uh with cross chain and anything similar to it is you know, you need some kind of way of interconnecting them or connecting them, right? And if you're just going for a bridge like multi-chain, well, first of all, centralized entity. I think they got like, I think they got done for something a while ago. But you know, but then it's like also really slow. You know, and if you're doing something on like chain A and then chain B, or you know, layer one and L two, you have this like time delay of whatever it is. And I guess if it's running on that that other chain or whatever, then it might just be like gone if there's like a race condition. So it's, then you're left off, 
left off worse. Like risk management is just out the window. <laughs> I don't know, it's just some kind of stuff I've thought about in ways, but I think a lot of people talk about cross-chain MEV, but I don't know who's actually doing it. Because it seems really, really difficult. Who knows if it's even feasible? Yeah, I'm not sure. Bridgically, like, always one of the, the big problems. Mm. Going back to that, that question about the auditing cryptography, can you even make tools? I assume the best tool would be formal verification for it. Yeah, the 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 dream is to formally verify all your cryptography. But the, the ZK landscape changes so quickly and you have to change your code every time Ethereum updates that it's actually like not uh, that yeah. worthwhile to like like you want to formally audit something that's just not gonna change. Like it's just gonna stay the same for a long time. Right. Uh, and with all the updates, it's kind of tricky to do that. Pretty you just much need to all- be yeah i mean that that does help but you are able to make like custom security tooling specifically for zk and um, veridice is one company who's done very well in like trying to formally verify some zk things also doing some fuzzing and in general just like static analysis of like zk code to look for like different types of zk bugs interesting i guess it'll be different if you're running circuits and you have to kind of order those yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. And you're saying it's different bytecode as well. Like, how is it going to be different bytecode if it's all hexadecimals? Are you just not using hexadecimal? Yeah, I mean, it still ends up being hexadecimal, but like different opcodes from Ethereum. Oh. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, that makes sense. So like uh, an entirely new machine language. <laughs> what kind of math do you really need to know to get into cryptography? As you mentioned, you know, the people in that audit, I think it was like the C4 contest or whatever it was. You know, that was a big thing. I remember everyone was switching over to ZK, trying to learn how to do it. But I think it's good to upskill into ZK, you know? And if you're just stuck in, like, security, it's always good to upskill into something else instead of being static. So, yeah, I guess how would someone, I guess, upskill into to ZK if they're not in it and they're doing something else? Yeah, so there's... I mean, I was very encouraging of people who tried to do this, like, they started like one week before the C4 contest and we're like, all right, I know nothing about ZK. Like, let's, let's go. I want to be able to like find like million dollar bugs next week. <laughs> and part of how I broke it down was to like, just pick sort of one of the layers. So like the deepest layer of the ZK is the math. And like at the very bottom, there's like, you know, a field on like an elliptic curve, but then building on that elliptic curve, there might be like a hash function. And then like building on the hash function is like the actual kind of like ZK protocol. And then like building on like how the proving works, there's like the circuit which describes the code that you're even trying to prove in the first place. And so like each of these layers can kind of like abstract away the one below it. So you can find bugs in the circuits relatively easily without knowing too much math because the circuits are just supposed to be describing like you know ec recover or sha256 like fairly standard stuff and you don't have to worry about the math layers below if that's not your strong suit but it's never not a bad idea to learn math you can't learn math and be like oh damn i just learned math what have i done (laughs) yeah if you really want to learn the math i mean first of all like just message me on twitter i'll I'll give you like all the resources you want but at a high level you need like a little bit of number theory and then like a little bit of like familiarity with familiarity with finite fields and that that'll take you a long way like finite fields like modular arithmetic 
clocks go in circles and the numbers repeat after a finite amount. And so a lot of cryptography depends on that. Interesting. Finite fields and number theory, that should get you a long way. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of ZK ends up just being polynomials and prime numbers. Actually, most of cryptography is like that. You you obviously can go really deep, you know, making it sound like simple, but I've studied elliptic curves for years and still don't understand even a fraction of everything that happens with them. Oh, but. nice. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'm like getting into math myself recently, but more towards, like, I guess, methods and probability. But I guess that's towards more like AI and predicting uncertainty instead. But, you know, math is great. I think it's super hard to get into if you've never really done it before. But it's just like a language. Well, it is. Yeah, it's just a language. So obviously it's super hard, but you're just going to keep doing it every day until eventually you gain some intuition for it. And you, it all clicks and then you're happy because you're you're understanding it and you keep going. <laughs> the feeling when it clicks is so good. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I had when I was learning Rust and all that stuff. Eventually it just clicks and you're like, wow, I can actually do this competently. This is insane. <laughs> but man, I'm super happy to talk to you finally after all these weeks. Uh, yeah, we had to reschedule, but it, it was super good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate your time. And hopefully, you know, the people got something out of this. I know I sure did. And I'm sure we can revisit down the road as well when we both progress in, in our fields. And hopefully the world is a bit different. Maybe the crypto space is entirely ZK by then. Who knows? That'd be really cool. But, you know, until then, thank you so much for jumping on. I'll talk to you soon.